0: Crossroads, it's a joy to be with you today, and uh, what a blessing it is to greet each other um, at the Lord's table this morning and share, uh, partake in Christ's death and resurrection. John Newton is a well-known hymn writer. In fact, we sang one of his hymns today, Amazing Grace, probably one of the most popular Christian hymns. And the story behind this hymn is actually his, his life, his, his own conversion story. So if you're unfamiliar uh, with, with his story, Newton was a ship captain during the heights of the slave trade, and his job was to sail up and down the coast of Africa, looking, searching for Africans, for people that he could enslave, could capture, and sail back to America, and then sell for profit. During what would be his last expedition, his ship ran into a massive sea storm. Uh, The storm tossed crew members over the boat, and and him as the captain fought the waves for for 11 straight hours. And finally, he cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. After a while, the storm calmed, the seas calmed, and the crew returned back to America. And after this expedition, he never went out again. And instead, he gave himself to the study of Greek in Hebrew, he would travel around to different churches, sharing his conversion experience and As you might know from from then on, if you 've even seen the the movie Amazing Grace," he became an influential force for the um, for the abolishment of the slave trade and became one of the closest confidants of William Wilberforce and other abolitionists alike. Uh, in their work to get the act for the abolition of this slave trade signed in to law. So, in his hymn, he writes about his conversion. He says, "Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind." And now I see. Our text today is John chapter nine. And Jesus, we're going to see him heal a man who's born blind. And this man not only experiences a physical touch by Jesus. But he also receives a spiritual touch and receives spiritual sight. And his testimony is this I once was blind, and now I see. His story is how Jesus is the light of the world and who brings sinners out of darkness and into the light. So just a few notes of context to orient ourselves to this book. Um, before Before we read our passage, we just like to remind ourselves, and something I think we should remind ourselves often as we read the gospel according to John is that purpose statement in chapter 20, verse 31. John's very kind to tell us why he is writing his gospel so that we have an insider perspective. And so he tells us this, that he wrote his gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And let's just be clear a second. We've mentioned that a few times as we've been reading through this gospel just every Sunday, chapter by chapter. We've mentioned this a few times. But let's just be clear. When, when John says, so that you may believe, he also means so that you keep on believing. John 15:6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Or in John chapter 8, 31, which precedes our passage today, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. One of his purposes in writing is so that we who believe keep on believing. So our text today will have many more implications than just near conversion. This gospel account and this story is for the believer and unbeliever alike. So John is very, very clear in recording for us in his gospel seven I am statements. I am statements that Jesus makes about himself And also he records seven signs or or miracles, but he calls them signs, of which we'll see the, the sixth today. And these signs and these I am statements are for the purpose, they're supposed to work together in pointing us toward this belief, belief in Jesus, that he is the Christ. So as far as the literary context goes, I think it's important to note that our story today falls in a larger section that we observe from John chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, to the end of chapter 10. Many have called this the festival or the feast cycle in John, and this is where Jesus really shows himself to be the fulfillment of the Jewish feasts and festivals, and as we'll see today, the Sabbath. (coughs) So the stories that bring us to where we are now from this section is a healing of a lame man in chapter 5. This also occurred on the Sabbath. And then in chapter 6, we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and then Jesus walking on water and then the bread of life discourse or basically Jesus' teaching and explanation of the feeding of the 5,000. And then in chapter 7... Jesus proclaims at the Feast of Tabernacles, another Jewish festival, that if anyone is thirsty, to come to him and drink. And then streams of living water would then flow from that individual. And finally, in John chapter 8, Jesus proclaims himself in verse 12 as the light of the world. We'll see that again in in our passage But also, he does not hesitate, right at the end of, of chapter 8, to identify himself with Yahweh, with the covenant God of Israel. He says, Before Abraham was born, I am. And of course, the Pharisees, I do not like this. And so... Chapter 8, verse 59, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is our last note that I would like to add context. In this unit from chapter 5 to chapter 10, we see rising opposition, rising opposition from Jewish leaders, religious leaders, to Jesus' ministry. We see it in chapter 5. You see it twice in chapter 7, and then right now, here, right before our chapter, chapter 8, verse 59. So Jesus has definitely developed a reputation. And according to the religious leaders, it's not a very good one. So let us now turn to John chapter 9. If you haven't, I would encourage you to turn there. Um, or scroll there on your phone, it's a fairly lengthy chapter, so I won't put it on the screen behind me, Uh, but if you don't have a way to to follow along, maybe just sit and listen, because this will be a story, and you can kind of picture these conversations happening in your mind's eye. So, let me begin reading for us, John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of this spittle and applied it, the clay, to his eyes and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them saying is this your son who you say was born blind then how does he now see his parents answered them and said we know that this is our son that he and that he was born blind but how he now sees we do not know or who opened his eyes we do not know ask him he is of age he will speak for himself his parents said this because they were afraid of the jews For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind... Now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses But as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind." If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Church, this is the word of the Lord. An overview for us that might be ha- helpful of our story is to notice how John changes the scene six different times, each highlighted by either an addition or a subtraction of various characters. So for those who are helped by outlines like myself, here's kind of how our our text shakes out. We observe three different parts of the story with six different group scenes. So the first part is that Jesus heals, physically heals, a man who's born blind. This is Jesus, his disciples, and the man born blind. And then... The Jewish people interrogate the man who's born blind and this starts off with the neighbors who then bring the man to the Pharisees and then the Pharisees don't believe him so they bring his parents and then they, the parents leave and the Pharisees go back to the man and they still don't believe him and they cast him out of the synagogue. And then Jesus re-enters the scene and we see him spiritually healing this man was born blind. And of course, the Pharisees are not looming off in the distance, but they are right there in earshot. So my argument today, and what I think John is arguing for in the way that he records this story, is, is to convince us that Jesus is the only source of spiritual sight. And in order to receive this Sight, we must in turn recognize and respond correctly to our own spiritual blindness. I can say that again. Jesus is the only source of spiritual sight. And in order to receive this sight, we must recognize and respond correctly to our own spiritual blindness. So, lengthy passage, but how I would like to approach it today is to ask a couple questions of our text. The first is, why does John include this story? So, at the end of, John, of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, the very last verse, verse 25, he says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Sometimes we forget that this is not all that Jesus did, what we have recorded in these gospel accounts. And so John is very clearly recording this story for us. And so let's ask the question, why? Why is he doing this? Why did he record this story? And then the second question How do the characters respond to Jesus' healing of this man? How do they respond? And lastly, I want to end by looking at how Jesus will interpret this story for us and give us the meaning and the application. So beginning with the first question, why does John include this story? And the first answer that I would submit to you for your consideration is that John is telling us this story so that all might believe that true healing comes only through Jesus. The first observation from our story comes in actually Jesus' response to his disciples when they asked the question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind?" This was a pretty commonly accepted rabbinic teaching, uh, teaching by the rabbis at that time, that sickness, especially from birth, was the cause of sin from either the parents or something that this child would do. But Jesus responds to them and he says, it was neither him nor his parents who sinned, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed through him, or that this man's life and the coming healing would be a sign of god's glorious work. Now, for being honest, we don't really like this answer. This is hard for us it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it brings up that age old question of how can a good God allow bad things happen, to allow evil in the world, to allow suffering. And I would argue that throughout scripture, we we see this theme play out. The two most common examples are Pharaoh in Exodus uh, during the plagues in, in Egypt, the Lord hardening his heart, and Job, who suffered without knowing the cause of his suffering. Some of the the greatest sufferings anyone could endure. And so I would would put forth these things that belief in God's sovereignty, his control of all things, should not scare us, but actually it should give us great comfort. We don't know why certain evils go unpunished. We don't know why There's hardships and sufferings in this life, but God does. And our faith can be magnified in him, even if we don't understand. Even if we don't understand how it is that he is in control. Paul argues in Romans, where he says, Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why have you made me like this? God knows, and God has a purpose, and he will use that for his glory. And I don't know all the sufferings that are present in our church today and in your life, but I know that we all have something. This world is filled with, with brokenness, and so let me add This encouragement, our sovereign Lord is not untouched by our afflictions. He sympathizes with us as our great comforter, and he grants us the greatest hope so that we can endure this life and the hope of eternal life with him. We read last week in John chapter 11, Jesus healing his friend Lazarus, that Jesus wept. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he was so moved by the emotional pain of his friends that he wept with them. And in in that story, just like this one that we read today, the suffering sickness was also so that you may believe. So that the works of God might be on display. So that others may come into relationship with him. And that's exactly what happened in that story that we read last week. Many people believed it was ultimately a sign of God's glory. Just like this story. Jesus has the power to make broken lives whole. So just before we move on, let me add... One last note. If you are here, you are hurting, you're asking the question, why, God? Please reach out. Reach out to our our body here. We want to support you, and and even after the service, there will be people up here at the front who would be more than willing to, to sit with you and to listen and to pray with you, and to weep with you. Take comfort in our Lord. So after Jesus explains this to his disciples, he proclaims, I am the light of the world. He is the light that will be on display through the healing of this man. And so he spits in the mud, he Puts that, covers the man's eyes with this mud, and, and tells him, go, go wash. Go wash it off. So the next question that naturally arises, at least in my mind and maybe maybe for you, but why in the world did Jesus spit in the mud? Why does he have to heal him this way? Like that's it seems kind of gross to me. And, and I think the simple answer is because he's God. Right? That's that's our simple answer. But I want to, just, just to caution us in, in asking questions like this, don't lose sight of the bigger story. Don't get so focused on the tree that you miss the forest. I, I want I want to give you a couple common answers, a couple, couple views of why he did it this way, and then I'll give you my take on it. But I'll encourage you, be a Berean. Search the scriptures, study the scriptures, and seek the Holy Spirit's Guidance and illumination as we study his word. So just quickly, a couple of views of why he did it this way. And I think I think all of them have some biblical support. But our desire is that we work hard to know, to interpret the scriptures rightly, and not just make interesting observations. So first, many see this as a metaphor of, Baptism uh, with the man going and washing and coming coming back, seeing, and even as Jesus used this and rationalized this um, as a metaphor in talking with the Pharisees of, of spiritual sight, so many people see this connection. there's also some who suggest that Jesus is really sticking it to the man here that uh, as, as he breaks the Sabbath, he not only does it. Uh, just in one way, but in three different ways. So he heals the man, he anoints the man, and he uh, kneads or or molds clay or mud, which all were forbidden forbidden things on the Sabbath. These seem um, like they're plausible, but the reason that I want to submit for your consideration is this, that Jesus healed this man in this way and in the way that was going to point to him as God incarnate. Okay, maybe this seems obvious to you. It took me a while to to see this and to see this connection. As I said, let's not get crazy and seeing symbolism just all over and getting too wild in our application. But I think that what Jesus is doing here is he's mirroring the act of creation. So in Genesis 2, 7, we read, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. Jesus here seems to be mimicking this action and bringing about the same result, new life. He wasn't just restoring this man's sight. He was giving him sight. He had never had sight in his life. And in chapter 1 of John... John 1 through 3, he tells us that in the beginning was the Word, it was Jesus, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So why did Jesus heal him in this way? To show that he is God. Incarnate. And I think rightly guarded in the purpose of John for writing this gospel is so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So there's plenty more we can say here, but time requires us to move on in this story. So the man born blind goes and washes, he comes back seeing. And now people are going to start asking about it. So here we come to our second question. And there's a, lot, there's a lot here, but we're going to look specifically at how this man responds. Because pretty much everyone else in the story, besides the man who's born blind, responds negatively. There's division. They reject him. They reject his story that he was blind, and now he's, he can see, especially the Pharisees. Right? We know they're not gonna like it, so looking at this man's response, what we see is faith, and it's not it's not just faith, but it's faith that grows and develops through these scenes of interrogation. as he's questioned, his faith seems to grow in response. so his first response in verse eleven. The man tells his neighbors that it was just a man called Jesus, this man called Jesus, who healed him. And then in verse seventeen, excuse me, when he's getting interrogated by the Pharisees, they actually ask him his theological opinion. Why we don't know. Uh, who do you say that he is? He says he's a prophet. I mean, look what look what he did. And then look at the end of verse twenty-five when the Pharisees are trying to. Con- they're convinced that this man is lying and and they, they claim Jesus has to be a sinner. This guy has to be making this up. His parents, their testimony was, you know, whatever. We're not sure. Um, so they go back to him, very accusatory. And like, this this man's a sinner, right? And he's like, whether he's a sinner, I, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they come back to him, accusingly, how did Jesus heal you? What did he do to you? And this man's response, really, I mean, his, his response should be taken as sarcasm. I told you already, you don't want to become one of his disciples too, do you? I mean, he's, he's a little frustrated here. His interrogations have gone on long enough. And in his response, though it's humorous, sarcastic, he does tell us something very important he tells us that now this prophet, this person who he proclaimed as a prophet, is worthy of being his disciple. And the Pharisees, say they get all offended at this. Oh, we're we're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke through Moses. So I think we see a very stark contrast between specifically the man born blind and, and the Pharisees And as their interrogation gets more and more intense, more and more accusatory, the man's responses get more and more sure and more and more unwavering. The physically blind gets more and more spiritual sight. And the physically seeing, the Pharisees, fall further and further into spiritual darkness. So we return to our question, why this story? Why is, and why specifically is John showing us all these responses? And I think it's to highlight this, that that when true faith is placed in the correct source, the correct source, which is Jesus, our faith will grow stronger even in the midst of persecution. Which is especially needed because the second thing that I, Note from this passage is that faith in Christ often results and at times requires familial and cultural rejection. Often, our faith in Christ requires a separation from family values, definitely from cultural and societal values, So this man is tossed out of the synagogue. And now in verse 35, Jesus re enters the scene. Jesus hears that this man has been, has been tossed out and he goes to him. How beautiful of a picture is this? Jesus drawing toward those who have been rejected. The irony here is that this man is cast out of the place where he was supposed to go to worship God. And now, God, Jesus, is drawing toward him so that he can worship him. Luke, in chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus says, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of of the son of man again faith in Christ often often results in rejection by family and culture yet there is a there is a but we have a father who will never reject us if we had time today we would keep reading through chapter 10 because really i don't think there should be a chapter break here And it continues Jesus' teaching now that he begins at at the end of chapter 9. And he tells us that he is the door. It's another one of his I am statements. He's the door to the kingdom. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. So he is both the door to the kingdom and he is the shepherd who will lead us through the door. And he says, I know my own and my own know me. And I lay my life down for the sheep. So that's fine. Be rejected by society, by the people who don't even care about you, because we have Jesus who will never reject us, who lays his life down for us. So today, take time, read at least the first 21 verses of chapter 10 and just see how Jesus continues to teach, teach the spiritually blind how they miss it. So Jesus now invites the man to believe in him, and his response is the correct one. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. This is the only time someone is recorded as worshiping Jesus in John's gospel. And I think the implications are obvious to us, So when our eyes are opened, when we receive spiritual sight, our response should be worship. Should be in awe of God. So here at the end, Jesus makes two statements. One in verse 39 and another in verse 41. And if you're like me, as you you read these, they're kind of unclear. You can sort of make out what it is that Jesus is saying, but I think it's, it is really imperative that we, we let Jesus tell us why it is that we need to hear this story. So in verse 39, he says, for judgment I came into the world so those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. As we've been reading through John, We've come across a few statements. Specifically, let's look at the example of John chapter 3, verse 17, where Jesus says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And now, in verse 39, he says that he did come to judge. So, I don't know, which one is it? And today, I get to give you are the, the, all of our favorite either-or answer. It's both. It's both. Did Jesus come into the world to save it? Yes, he did. That's clear in this text that he came as the light of the world so that those who recognize their spiritual blindness would believe and would be saved. But as a, a professor of mine likes to say, salvation and judgment are, are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Jesus' primary purpose for coming to the earth was to save. But salvation requires faith and calls for obedience. And the rejection then of and turning away from the light from Jesus will result in the rejecter being rejected. And of course, there's Pharisees around when Jesus says this. This comment is likely directed at them. So they reply, We are not blind too, are we? This is kind of like that idea of fishing for compliments. They're wanting Jesus to say how great they are, how well they observe the law, how much they know. And Jesus just, he just turns the whole argument on his head. And, and this, is, this is our last observation that we'll make. And it's this, that the people who are the most blind are the people who don't know that they are blind. This is the sad reality, and this is why in our preaching and in our evangelism, we must tell people the effects of sin and turning away from Christ. We must tell them that those who turn away from Christ will be judged according to their sin and will receive their just reward of eternity spent outside of the presence of God. So church, this should move us beyond this idea of friendship evangelism. Just love people and all will be well. They'll see Christ in you. It's not entirely wrong, it's missing a key component of the gospel. And I think this is one of the best tactics that the devil can employ. Don't don't fall into it. Be like this man. Be courageous. Go and do likewise. So in, in verse 41, it says, if you you were blind, you would have no sin. Again, he's... Verses are a little confusing to us, but Jesus here is, he's using physical sight of the blind man to speak to spiritual sight or the lack thereof. So he's kind of teaching this as a a lived out parable, if you will, using this as an illustration for his teaching. So he's saying to the Pharisees, if you were blind like this man seeking illumination, seeking to not be blind, right? Blind people, they wish they could see. That's their desire. Then then you Pharisees, you would listen to my teaching and see that I am the light of the world and you would be healed of your spiritual blindness, just like this man was healed of his physical blindness. But it requires first that you recognize your blindness. Then Jesus says, but since you say we see, your sin remains. Or, or because of your arrogance, thinking that you already see, thinking that, that you know everything already, you've not accepted my teaching. You do not see the light that is right in front of you. And so the guilt of your sin remains, and you remain in spiritual darkness. Remember what John 1, 11 says, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him the Pharisees did not see or believe him so those that thought they had spiritual sight Jesus exposed that they were actually blind we must recognize our spiritual blindness in order for our eyes to be opened At the end of his life, John Newton said he could remember two things. He's he's going physically blind. He said, I can remember two things. That I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Is this your testimony? Your testimony, I was blind, and now I see can pull out and think of numerous implications from this story, but let me just real quickly highlight two. We should be encouraged if we place our faith in the true light, just like this man did, he will continue to draw us further and further into the light, into relationship with him. Just like this man's understanding of Christ grew with each interrogation, so too can can our understanding and our faith and our belief in Christ grow as we stand on his word. And second, no one is beyond the reach of Christ. If you're like me, this story makes you think of coworkers, friends, family members who you know are spiritually blind and are in darkness. Church, we can take comfort in this story because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can do what no one else or no thing can do for us. That's to give us spiritual sight, to save us from our sins. Oh, through his amazing grace, he is our source of spiritual sight. May we recognize our blindness and respond rightly to him in worship. Well, these things have been written and now preached to you so that you may believe and have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and confess we are lost in our darkness. But we thank you that you draw near to us and that your Son made a way for us to step into the light. May we take comfort in you and rejoice in the good news of this gospel. And may we go and proclaim your name without reservation, trusting in you. Give us confidence and boldness. Give us faith. Lord, we thank you for your grace and we thank you for this story. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.